As you all know, SharpFootballAnalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. And next week, we are opening up the entire site to everyone. 2021 Sharp Football Free Week will kick off Monday, November 15th, and all of our picks, analysis, fantasy coverage, props, and content will be free and open to the public. Follow our site handle on Twitter at SharpFBAnalysis for information and instructions on how to take advantage. That's SharpFBAnalysis to prepare for Sharp Football Free Week 2021. What is going on, Sharp Football family? It is the resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and we are here already in week 10. We are officially on the back nine of the fantasy football season. When you say the back nine, you know, I, don't, I don't golf, but 18 weeks, it feels right to say the back nine, uh, you know, to bring in a little, you know, uh, different sport analogy but into this thing but uh here we are in week 10 and i'm bringing in i had to phone a friend one of my good friends a person that stayed in my house i've gone i've gone on vacation with him uh and that is john daigle not john daigle on twitter but uh daigle what's happening brother as someone who plays golf i assure you the back nine is much more enjoyable than what's happening in football right now at least you, t- you can tell yourself when you circle around oh i have nine more holes to go this is this is going to be fun Whereas now we're getting into the cold months where the sun sets at 4 p.m. where there are fewer injuries because there's no one left to get injured. We got COVID (laughs) clusters going on. Nonetheless, you can still hear the positivity and the energy in my voice because we're getting it done still somehow, somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely Halloween parties were had uh, over the last week in the NFL. And we're starting to see the, you know, that kind of spike in the injuries, man. We just can't get away from this year. Uh, You know, I, I was thinking about, you know, early season ranks on a podcast. Someone asked me like, who, was I in on that you know didn't hit and I was trying to think like if if anyone even had like good preseason rankings at this point uh just the way this season shaked out because everyone's missed time uh you know the the first couple rounds have basically just been completely filled with landmines and what sucks about this year since there's no good fantasy players except for Cooper Cup is that it basically came down to like, even let's say DJ Moore, for instance, like the target share, the peripherals, they're all amazing for DJ Moore. He just doesn't have a quarterback to get him the ball. So it generally just, it boils down to things like that, where you could be right, but in the rankings, you're not right. So it's just a really <laughs> wacky year, honestly. Yeah. And you know, I think that you hit on something that goes into kind of why this season feels kind of unique is that we don't really have any fantasy Gibraltars like from wire to wire. It's been Cooper cup. And we've had a little bit like Debo Samuel's been close. We had some running backs get hot. We're in the midst of like a real hot streak for Jonathan Taylor, but even he started the first couple of weeks kind of slow, but we haven't really had like those guys at every position that are just, just you counted every week. Well, this guy's going to light it up where we had Christian McCaffrey or Devonte Adams and Travis Kelsey, you know, even Travis Kelsey being the tight end one is still a guy like not very exciting every week. So it's really just been the Cooper cup show. Even so, while it's hard to pinpoint these things in season as we try to catch trends, I actually do enjoy pocket analysis in the Mm offseason quite a bit. I still think it separates a lot of people, honestly, like at the top of the industry versus people breaking in and still learning how to decipher like why players are RB5 or whatever on the week in fantasy. It's like, oh, like you have to spot the trends and then explain to people why or why not that was happening. And so like this offseason, I'm actually looking forward to because 
all this year has been, like you said, is pocket analysis. It's like this player was good for two games. Why is that? Because this player is injured or yada, yada, like a lot of matchup based analysis as well this year that's separating like our DFS coverage and everything else. So I'm actually really looking forward to trying to separate myself further and analysis and breaking down all of this, these pocket events this offseason for sure. Yeah, that's what I've always felt like I'm better at anyway. So I like to swerve into that. But before well, we, we have into- more time to do it, like uh, yeah. imagine doing that right now. It's like a team changing their game plan, not in a bye week right now. Like that's why you see usage changes after the bye. There are 14 days to implement these schemes. Like that's the only time a real NFL team has time to change roles. Whereas like six days in between to learn the game plan against an opposing defense and offense, like this is not going to happen. And so that's kind of the mode we're in right now too. We have to turn around analysis for Sunday by Wednesday. And so there's just no time to really uh, gain plan pocket analysis beyond what we already do yeah yeah i'm already turning out writing up games to the you know literally at 10 a.m on tuesday every week uh (laughs) but you know before we get into you know this week and some of the things that we'll touch on you know uh over the course of the show i always like to at least when i bring a guest on it kind of like the guest give a little bit of background and you have i think one of the you know the the most colorful backgrounds you know uh, of the people doing fantasy football and the, the path that you've taken here so why don't you just share with the people you know kind of you know, a little bit about yourself, what you were doing before fantasy football and kind of how you got to what is now at the NBC Sports Edge, you know, pouring out for Roto World. <laughs> uh, colorful is one word for it. Uh, <laughs> chaotic and just doing my own thing as I've always done throughout my life is another way to do it. Uh, we'll take the somewhat short version and say just as everyone figures out, but should be told before college. And now I have some different discrepancies and arguments against college, but at the time it was good and entered as a fish as everyone does as a freshman. And then you rise to the cream of the crop as a senior, and then you get your ass kicked on the way back down in real life. And in the first couple of months of real life, I just didn't really like any of the job offers I had. And so I went to poker and not a sexy tournament player. Um, I was more like Kanish and rounders. I was just like scraping on table games and staying like 48 to three day sessions, just trying to just paying the bills. And I enjoyed it. I, I still love poker, even though like DFS, the game has changed entirely and gone to more tournament play. But eventually I did that for like a year. I got into like a day job in production with Fox sports, oddly enough, and didn't enjoy my job and the way things are going. I was still writing on the side. I was still podcasting as well, like hosting my own site and blog, uh, doing literally everything on my own to implement deadlines and just responsibilities as a, as a writer, what I wanted to be on my own end. Also wanted to do radio at some point, which has obviously become podcasting now. And I was just unhappy. And so I hit a quarter life crisis And I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm actually going to travel instead of sticking around doing all this stuff. And I sent a, you may not even know this part of the story, actually. Uh, I lied on Australian Craigslist. It's called Gumtree because they were looking for a statistician to come mark stats for their their own like basketball league. Uh, It's not even a filter to the NBA. It's just like their own basketball league in general in Australia. And I actually had a call a couple days later and they said, can you be here for an interview Monday? And I said, yeah, it was a Wednesday the week prior. And I said, yeah, I can be there. And uh, I bought a one-way ticket and I went there and not only applied for the job, um, I also stuck around to play the Aussie Millions, which is their equivalent, a much cheaper version of the World Series of Poker. Um, and I just played satellites, by the way. I didn't get in. I didn't get my ass kicked in the tournament. I didn't make it. But nonetheless, <laughs> I stuck around and I loved the city so much because it was like a month of doing that. I was like, okay, 
I'm actually just going to stay here. And so I stayed there for a couple of years, still writing and podcasting on that schedule. And for those that don't know who have never been to Australia, it's 16 hours ahead. And so I would wake up at 5 a.m. Monday mornings for kickoff and then watch cool. game and then do <laughs> podcast and write in what was overnight in America. But there it was like noon. I'd go out to a cafe. It was beautiful. I need to do it again, actually. And eventually I was like, okay, I actually need to uh, be an adult and attack this thing full on. I think I was 20. 26 or 27 at the time. And which, which, you know, you don't have to attack anything full on. I decided to though then. And I saw, so I came back to America and I saw Jonathan Bell's good friend, now a, a multi-billionaire in living in space. Uh, he put out a, an inquiry for a site called Fantasy Labs and said, we just need writers. Don't show me your resume. I don't care. Tell me what you've done. And I explained to this point what I've done, what I just told you about. And he said, okay, you're hired. And uh, I joined, and at this time, it was a startup. There were only like, I guess, 10, 12 people, maybe at most, including engineers working on it, one being Adam Levitan, who was working NFL News. And so I just kind of joined with him. I would take nights and afternoons. He would take mornings after he dropped the kids off at school, and then also like in the evenings once he put them to bed. And so all we did was just us for a season or two, strictly on the NFL news page for Fantasy Labs, trying to make it a competitor with Roto World, oddly enough. And then that became NBA and MLB blurbs, because at the time I thought it was better to work all sports. Imagine doing that now. Just imagine trying to do that. And uh, Silva, Evan Silva, oddly enough, then caught my MLB write-ups and then sent me a message. And that's how he and I started talking, because I used to care about playing MLB DFS and fantasy. And then from that point forward, Eventually, I landed with Number Fire, working with J.J. Zacharyson, and then from that point on, Silva reached out yet again at some point. I was living in L.A. at this time, working day, like production, with Fox Sports behind the scenes and also writing on the side for other sites, still trying to do the fantasy career. And Silva just said, hey, like, what if we offer you this gig at Roto World? Uh, and he just pretty much sent me a DM that said, call me and his number. And so we just had a long chat and figured something out. And from that point forward, I've been at NBC Sports Edge now. And now uh, I think I met you my first year there. I don't even know if I was full time, but we went down to FSGA in Tampa. You were the one person who I knew it was there. We have never met in person yet, though. So I just reached out and then you walked out of the bar to meet me to introduce some people. And I didn't realize like you were a giant in real life, just like Silva. So that was my first impression of you as well. And that's the story of how I got here. And that's the short version, by the way, it really is. Everyone thinks I'm short when I meet him. I just met in New York, you know, I met Mike Randall and he was like, oh, I thought you were going to be short. And I was like, oh, but I was like, yeah, I guess, I guess I give that off. You know, maybe, you're, maybe. you're a giant. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, no, but yeah, listen, it's a, it's a great story. I love, I love hearing you talking. You, you've got so many great stories and antidotes from your experiences. You know, you traveled the world. You definitely lived, lived in your twenties for sure. Uh, you know, but with you being our first guest from Roto world, you know, especially during the season, I saw last night, you know, whoever was on the blurbs, you know, taking a lot of heat. I think people get the misnomer. They're like, Roto World doesn't just, you know, they don't create headlines. You know, they, they definitely make up a headline uh, for like a tagline. But Roto World isn't just isn't creating news. It's it's actually just taking news that's already been reported and aggregating it. And uh, so I want to just pick your brain real quick about blurbing because you do it a lot. You've done a lot more than I did. You know, I hardly 
did any blurbing while I was there. I had it worked in my contract. Thanks, Brett. Uh, but uh, I want you, I kind of want you to talk about, you know, blurbing in general, uh, how, how it comes to be blurbing and, you know, the misnomers people have learned what makes a good blurb and some of the things people should be looking for when they're trying to get actual advice out of blurbs. It is, like you said, just an aggregation machine. And that's why it's important that we put the links at the bottom. That mm-hmm. way you can click the blurb and then go to that link and see where it's coming from. Because we literally, people think it's automated as well. We literally sit there for mm-hmm. hours on end, uh, three or four times per week. We have six to eight hour shifts doing it and just watch a Twitter feed. It's as fun as it sounds, by the way. And then pluck those tweets, plug them into the CMS on the back end, and then also have to write the headline, mark the injury, spin the news, which is also why I know there are like always some funny comments underneath that mention why, like why are the tops up for like five blurbs in a row, but the bottoms aren't up yet because the bottoms take thought, like you have to spin it. And for the fantasy analysis, like that's the whole basis of creating Roto World and NBC Sports Edge is the spin portion because that's the part you should read and then learn something from it. And, you know, sometimes it's it can be copied and pasted from articles, something you may not have seen just because the actionable data has already, already been written up somewhere else. Sometimes we also direct it to like my waiver column or Roto Pat's rankings um, just to also feed within the system and create an ecosystem. But overall, like whatever we put in there, you can at least hope like we, we try to ensure you that you're learning something and then you have the data to act accordingly from that blurb. Also, sometimes, you know, it's just like Aaron Rodgers mentioning Joe Rogan spin something funny as well. But honestly, we pick and choose everything. And there's a lot of conversations that go on the back and Slack saying like, do we need to grab this? Should we not? How do we handle this serious mm-hmm. report? And we just kind of go from there. It's literally all human beings just touching and going for years and years now. Yeah, it's definitely a lot goes into it. I remember when I was first, you know, kind of going through, because I still did have to do some blurbing. I had to get trained to do it and, you know, doing the game blurbing. And, you know, I remember just like, yeah, the process of, of going through it with Evan and behind the scenes of like, and just getting dunked on. They're like, this is, they're just like, this is not good enough. You know, tear this thing down and, you know, kind of going through the, the coals, walking the, the Lego walk of fire uh, behind the scenes and trying to hone, hone my craft a little bit. You, um, uh, you were also known for go figure being long-winded and having a lot of detail and analysis in your blurbs. I remember your game blurbs because we obviously do the game recaps yeah. and then those go to our affiliates and sponsors and like Yahoo, the player notes you click on in Yahoo whenever you're skimming through there to pick up players. We actually write all those notes. They all connect again. You always mm-hmm. want to try to create an ecosystem in a business. And uh, your player notes were always like a novel, essentially. Uh, if someone <laughs> wanted a real game breakdown, they absolutely got it from you. I will say that. And that's kind of what ran me out. I said, I want to go back to enjoying football. I'm going to watch these games. I just want to, I just want to hang out with my son on Sundays and watch well, football. You say that until you have to watch like Washington Broncos a couple weeks ago, Broncos Cowboys this past week. It's always good when you get a hot game. Uh, but then sometimes you run some duds and you just think, why do I do this again? I used to uh, request from Rotopat, used to do this. He used to sign the games. I used to request the worst teams because they had less players to blurb and less stuff to do. Uh, I used to always hate getting like the Patriots where they do like all three running backs and like four different receivers. And like, they had all these players, like the team, like when the saints were good for all the time, because they, they give the ball to 10 different guys. I used to like, come on, Pat, let me get the jets. 
Uh, they're going to score 10 points today. Let me get the Jets every week. <laughs> that's that's Washington this year. Like, wh- I don't have anything to say about Adam Humphreys. Why am I typing about him? There's no point. The year the Browns went 0-16, I had every Browns game except for the final week because Evan demanded he got to do the, the 16th closing game, all the Browns blurbs, so he could take shots at uh, all the Browns <laughs> at the Browns. Oh, ownership. <laughs> that's, that's the silver we all know. Yep. I, I did literally all 15 games up until that point that season. <laughs> that's, that's miraculous. Uh, Pat, Pat, by the way, everyone who's listening, Rotopass, the one who assigns them. I'm sure he has some kind of wild system. Cause I don't think anyone requests anymore. Uh, Cause it does seem like I weave back and forth. Like if I have the Broncos against this team, one week, I may have that next team the next week. And so then I can actually see like maybe some trends happening. Either that or he's just throwing stuff at a wall. I have no idea. It would make sense if we're, we're probably giving him too much credit, but it would make sense if they did that. So you would have kind of a pulse uh, on the ebb and flow of, oh, I just was dialed in on this team. And now I've got the team that they're facing, you know, and you could kind of have a little symmetry into the blurbing. But uh, I don't know. I think we might be giving him too much credit on that. But, we'll still uh, give him that compliment. We'll let him have that one. That's right. Um, but there is actual, you know, some week 10 nuggets to kind of talk to. And we're not going to go over like every single like little injury that happened and, and kind of what's going on. We're recording this on Wednesday night. So there'll be stuff that happened throughout the course this week. But uh, obviously we now are three weeks in. We're in, I think at this point, probably at DEFCON 2, maybe DEFCON 1 at this point with the Chiefs. Uh, you know, most people are still like, there's nothing you can do if you have Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey. And those guys really aren't disappointing. Maybe in context, uh, they might be a little disappointing. But like Tyree Kill has 101 targets on the year and Travis Kelsey's still a tight end one. But this offense is still like, they haven't snapped out of it. And we're looking for the death star. Uh, are we Are we ever going to get that back this season? That's what's funny to hear people talk about it this year. Uh, I always wait to hear, like, what's the niche thing that people are suddenly glomming onto this year in particular because they're learning more about football, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, a couple years ago, this year, this offseason, let's just say that, for example, was the RB dead zone. Everyone talked about it, and everyone just latched onto it. Uh, I would say earlier in the year, my best guess was going to be uh, – targets per route run seem to be getting very mm-hmm. popular out of nowhere at the beginning of the year. But now, like, I think the, the MVP, the winning nominee is too high shell and, uh, <laughs> and man to man coverage more and more just recreational people seem to be talking about it. When you hear out like ESPN and major networks, that's when you know it's becoming a bigger deal. And what's funny is that now, even though everyone's talking about it now, Rich, like we talked about this last year on the shows we overlapped in the playoffs, this is how teams have played the Chiefs since week eight last year of the second mm-hmm. half of the season. Also why Tyreek Hill and that span over the second half of the season last year was jammed 11 and a half targets per game, pretty much rivaled Devontae Adams. That's why we also had him neck and neck with Adams as the number one receiver in fantasy football in the offseason because we thought, okay, even if they continue playing two-eye safety against the Chiefs, that's fine. They've already figured this out. They're going to move Tyreek Hill around the entire field, pepper him underneath, and then we get Yak Hill. And that's awesome. Uh, the issue I genuinely think, and you know, I actually want to hear your thoughts on this as well, but I just think it's because they're injured right now. And so like Tyreek Hill is not at, at full blast. Uh, they have no running game whatsoever. As much as I love Daryl, the mentor Williams and, uh, Derek, the Met Gore, they're just not getting it done in the running game. We also saw Clyde Edwards Alaire, whether it be his ankle injury to start the year or not, not explosive either. And so it's just the fact that the way to combat 
man covers two eye shell is to run even just a little bit to alleviate the process and then sprinkle it downfield, take your shots, take advantage of the openings the defense gives you. And now like, it's not just the chiefs. We saw this against with the bills and the Jaguars this past week, the, the Jaguars, they didn't even blitz. Like they just play, they just stunted their four guys and they just said, okay, we'll go man coverage. Uh, we'll play two eye safeties and we'll see what happens here. And it worked. Uh, Josh Allen still had struggle just peppering underneath because, you know, the big arms like Hill and Allen, they want to take their chances. Patrick Mahomes had an amazing quote earlier this week as well, saying that he's finally comfortable and he understands that it's okay to take a punt. Uh, and when you're as talented as Mahomes, I understand not wanting to punt the ball. But also, yes, it is much better than what we've seen his some of his decision making when he's held onto the ball more than three seconds this year. So I, I genuinely think it's little easily solvable problems that'll be okay once they get healthy. As you mentioned, Travis Kelsey, everyone's complaining, but he's still top in basically every metric and receiving categories. So I think they're all just fine. It's going to be okay. It may not be as efficient as it is early in the year, but as we know, they just need to get into the playoffs. And then like, imagine betting the Bengals or the Titans over them in the wild card round. You'd never do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny with the, cause the two eye shell stuff, it's like, you know, basic coverage and you know, stuff that's existed basically since the dawn of time and all these, like a lot of the coverages, you know, nothing's really exotic is happening. Uh, you know, you've got your cover three beaters, you got your cover two beaters, you got your, it, it just, you know, it, it, they're just not executing and playing well. Injuries are part of it. Even, you know, when they're getting, you know, man coverage, like they, you know, Mahomes holding the ball a little bit longer. And when you have these guys like Mahomes and Josh Allen, who we'll talk about a little bit, so you had like the old school NFL dinosaur coaches and the, the typical thing that you would always do against these, you know, pocket passers, dial blitzes, right? Dial blitzes. And teams found out real quick against Patrick Mahomes. You couldn't do that. It took Wink Martin a little bit longer, but most teams found out really quick. Like you just can't send blitz after blitz at Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and, but so what teams have done is they force these, these teams to, they've, they've made the quarterback stay patient. So when you have a guy like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, guys that can make plays and create, sometimes they do, uh, you know, press and they try to create a little bit too much. We've seen this happen with Mahomes a lot early in the season where you just don't give up on downs or, and they try to just play for that one mistake. If the chief, if we make the chiefs run 12 plays instead of five, maybe one of these 12, they'll make the mistake. And that's been happening uh, a little bit more frequently this year. Um, but they just generally like they're just not really playing well. The offensive line's not playing well. The pass protections in poor. The, you look at, you look at the, the past three weeks, uh, you know, they're 26th in EPA per play after weeks one through six, like they were still fine. They were second in the NFL and EPA play. People were like, all right, well, let's just wait and see if it becomes a trend. It's become a trend. The last three weeks, Patrick Mahomes is nine of 32 passing under pressure for 2.9 yards for pass attempt. Now, when you go into this particular matchup and say like, all right, well, is this going to be a week they turn it around? And you look at the Raiders and you say, well, the Raiders, they don't blitz at all. They rely on getting home at four and they actually are pretty good at getting home at four. And then, you know, they're going to sit back and, you know, play cover three and not really give up anything big. So it's hard to say like, this is the objectively good spot, but the chiefs are actually doing the things you're supposed to, to counter. They're running with Daryl Williams is 19 or more carries the past three weeks. It's just that Daryl Williams now is fifth from the bottom in rushing yards under expectation. I think he had a 37% <laughs> success rate uh, this past week on the ground, which is not successful in case you're wondering at home. Yeah. He's, he's 63 yards under expectation. Now, Clyde Edwards Lair, who we have bagged on for the pick and, you know, we can continue to bag on that. It'll look bad. It'll look bad forever probably, but at least Clyde Edwards, he was league average. 
uh, you know, a rushing. It's so like just getting a league average runner might inject a little bit more of being able to, to, to generate some, some longer plays, some runs that actually get, you know, eight to 10 yards instead of maybe two to three or what's blocked. So we'll see what happens when he comes back. I saw he was practicing probably still a long shot to play this week. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's really just comes down to Mahomes. Let me ask you on Mahomes. This is probably the wrong week for it because it's not a great streaming week. But uh, is there, if you have Mahomes, is, are you even exploring, you know, playing a Matt Ryan this week or a Derek Carr or someone? Matt Ryan and Derek Carr are interesting. We also know Derek Carr's historical splits against the Chiefs, even though it is a different coaching staff. Nonetheless, John Gruden did originally build this team to beat the Chiefs, which is why they played him so well the past two years. I still think, though, since we are not scared of the Raiders secondary at all, I would still personally play Mahomes. Uh, I know Denny Carter on a good football show, Shameless Plug, iTunes and Spotify, has mentioned that Mahomes has gone into streaming territory as a like QB 12. And so you should still like look for better options if they are available. I have not reached the point, though, where I'm starting Matt Ryan or Derek Carr over him just yet. I, maybe I don't fight back if someone wishes to, but I'm not going to get there just yet. Yeah, this is this is probably the worst week for it to be like to to say for, for him to be having three bad games in a row. It's the first time in his career he's even had two games in a row with not being a QB one back bad games. He's done it three. Uh, so I mean, it, it's, it's we're in rarefied air. <laughs> I, I talked about the Bills Jaguars, but it's the, it's the same thing that happened also with the Cowboys this past week. The difference is the Cowboys have not just one but two awesome running backs who we also know they'll lean on. Uh, Tyrone Smith coming back this week, so. Cowboys, like, I have no problems with them figuring it out. Uh, mm-hmm. Broncos ran, I think it was 43% man coverage against them, and it just befuddled Dak. He threw a pick. He only threw 50 yards on 18 passes against it. He just didn't know what to do since he's been blitzed at a top five rate all year, and he's been awesome against the blitz. It's actually confusing that people figured out opposing teams to not blitz Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, but to still blitz Dak Prescott, even though he's been great against it. But overall, the Broncos pivoted, except we have confidence in them since they've built around their offensive line and running backs. Uh, The thing with the Bills, too, is that in prioritizing running backs who have high broken tackle rays, that's what they looked at when they drafted Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, the issue is their explosiveness. Like It doesn't matter how many tackles you break if you're always breaking them at the line of scrimmage because you can't get beyond that. And so I, I do still somewhat worry. Um, also, there's a little bit, you know, in fantasy, we talk about this in the offseason, there's a little bit of just natural regression baked in, right? Like everyone always drafts last year's stats. People love doing it. They'll do it again next year with Cooper Cup too, even though like I really want to draft Cooper Cup next year, but you know, it's still regression happens naturally. And I think that's what's kind of happening with the Bills as well. Stephon Diggs, like if you look at every peripheral, nothing's really changed. Like his catch rate's down, but who cares about catch rate? Like we're not worried about that. Um, but it's just the fact that, yeah, it's just literally they were so good and you bet against things that are so good because they usually can't be so good. And sometimes it's that dumb. It's that simple. Yeah, the Bills are in a little bit of different territory for them, the Chiefs, just because the things that they want to do, because I wrote about this in the off season too, in the, in the chapter of the book, uh, you know, about Josh Allen, that the way that they were calling plays made it accentuated Josh Allen's ability him. They were them being aggressive on early downs helped out some of his problems because when you still get into long down and distances or when it's pure passing situations, Josh Allen's troubles come back. They were, they existed last year. The bills just did a really great job 
of hiding them. He averaged almost two yards more per pass attempt on first down passes than any other situation. Uh, and then they've leaned to that again this year, but teams have finally, you know, kind of gotten like religion on it and said, all right, we're just going to play the pass because you're not even trying to run the football at all anymore. Like the chiefs are still trying to run the football. They're not doing it well, right. but they're trying the bills have not. So teams have started to say like, all right, well, if you're not even going to entertain running the football, like we're going to play you this way. And we've seen the last two opponents do that against them. Uh, the A dots really plummeted for Josh Allen. I think this week it'll be fine. He still was a top five guy the three weeks before this Jaguars game to count this count this as a blip. But you know, Jets this week, Colts the week after. Then you start to get into like the Saints, Patriots, Buccaneers defenses of the world, the Panthers defenses of the world, and the Patriots again. The, the schedule does get a little bit harder where at least you see defensive scheme and defensive aggression can play in to where teams are going to force the Bills to actually try to be something that's just not one dimensional, one capacity. So they, they're a little bit different than the Chiefs for me because I don't know if they actually can run the football at all or will even try. I mean, Josh Allen's in their leading rusher in three of the past four games. I think they'll be able to run it on the Jets because everyone can. But uh, the Bills are, are one of the teams I think are really interesting in the spectrum of me. Believe, I believe the Chiefs are going to work their way through it because they have the personnel to do so. I don't know if really the Bills are built to ever run the football. I believe you. Yes. Uh, that's kind of the way I figure it out. Also, you, you never want to be the answer to a pub quiz of which was the last team to score fewer than 20 points against the Jaguars since week 15 <laughs> of the 2019 season. It's never a good start when you're that answer in the bills. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not, not, not run for the hills like doom and gloom, but just something to keep, you know, earmark on if they're not able to generate like anything on the it, ground, we might see them go through a little bit of a lull. And meanwhile, it's just so funny because the Titans have basically become the Tennessee Kingslayers. Like their five game winning streak. I know they've run into some luck, but that's no joke. Like they've knocked mm-hmm. off the Colts, Rams, Chiefs, and Bills. Like that's some big time football they're playing out of nowhere with a, a myriad of injuries as well. So it's not really like everyone says it's parody. Uh, really, it's just a bunch of bad teams in the Bucks. What's happening in the NFL right now? Yeah, and I don't really have a problem with that. The, the, the thing that I do have a problem with is the Titans defense is going to start being good. I don't like this development of the Titans defense being good. I want them to give up points and uh, them, us to have a you know a target to turn this into a fun house. Especially with Derrick Henry out, I was hoping it's going to be fun. And then you look at their schedule, it's like the Saints aren't going to run away from them. Uh, the Texans definitely aren't. The Patriots aren't. And, then, you know, this, this front four is getting after it. Uh, of late so we're starting to build up a sample where the titans are starting to be really live on defense i don't know if i like that development of fantasy football uh, on well, any and, level and they they only have to win four more afc games to clinch that playoff spot over the colts and they play the texans two more times this year so they're like guaranteed to get <laughs> and it. the dolphins they still play the yeah. dolphins too uh they're, they're yeah their schedule is really good i think that's what the tiebreak was for me and we were trying to sort out the adrian peterson stuff with Sigmund Bloom last week was just the remaining schedule was going to set them up for a lot of neutral game script. And, and as good as Deontay Foreman looked on Sunday night, I think he looked the best of three backs. He has no like path to a fantasy relevant role because they already shown they're going to give Adrian Peterson the carries at the five and Jeremy Nichols already has all the pass route work. So even if Deontay Foreman looks the best and he has the highest yards per carry between the, the backs out of the rest of the season, he has no like runway to like the fantasy touches that matter. So, and I, and I would argue the fact that Adrian Peterson handled, you know, the second most, second most touches among that backfield um, 
or the most touches among that backfield with only 48 hours of practice in his first game since last year. Like that's pretty telling for how much his role will increase as we move along here. Um, you know, he's not going to offer the explosiveness ever to be an RB1, most likely anyways, but I still think he's a touch base low end RB2. And like our prognostication of that has not changed since last week. And we're just looking for guys to get touches at this point of the season. That's all, that's all we want. Also, yeah, also a low-end RB2 this year. Uh, again, step back, use context. It doesn't matter. It's basically, are you healthy? You're a low-end RB2. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we're coming off of a week two where, like, the scoring was so low. Me doing all my weekly write-ups, I was like, oh, this performance was good for, like, QB, QB10. I mean, Dak was a top-10 quarterback still last week. I know some Oof. of it was, you know, garbage production. Jalen Hurts' game, he still got it. He still notched a QB1 scoring week. only threw the ball 17 times, yep. no fourth quarter. It was just, it was just such a depressed scoring week. Uh, last week in the NFL, it's actually two weeks in a row for that. So anytime you start to see all of the big weeks where the underdogs are winning, it's 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 probably because the you know the the, the big dogs let let us down. Uh, big dogs, I mean the, the favorites and the, the high scoring teams, the the juggernauts we expect. We do I mean, have one one other our, our heroes on the waiver wire like Khalil Herbert just get benched. Doesn't even matter. Just bench him. Whatever. Yeah, Khalil Herbert development uh, was a bummer. We saw that happen. You know. Then the same thing with Dalvin Cook a few weeks ago where they had a bye the week after. And it's like, oh, maybe they'll have some kind of split, and it was just all Dalvin Cook. Same nope. thing happened with Cleo Herbert and Dave Montgomery coming back. Uh, we did get some news, though, that uh, the nano bubbles worked. Russell Wilson's finger is healed. He's cleared to play. He's back after our three games of Geno Smith. Uh, and Geno did have a, a rough draw the first two starts. But with Russ coming back, uh, assuming they do not, sign Odell Beckham I mean what are we thinking about this offense now the rest of the season really need this joke is played out but I'm going to say it anyways really need another wide receiver to help run block with Odell Beckham (laughs) so you got to get him signed um now we saw what the Seahawks what to expect they are still a slow low pace environment but Russ is so good that it just doesn't matter Uh, they average 56 plays per game with Russ to start the year but we're still able to average six and a half yards per play because He cooked nine and a half yards per attempt in that span, had only thrown one interception. And so I think we go right back to him with complete confidence as a low-end QB1 who we know like ceiling is ultimately higher if they ever truly just let him cook. But that's just not what the offense does, especially with Chris Carson returning to practice as well. So, you know, it's still good to get him back, especially if you had gotten by this long with streamers, but I just think we should expect the same thing that was happening and that's him defying the odds and just being great and answering on little volume. Yeah. That's basically the world we're going to live in for all of our wishing for all of our wishing forever. This is the life we live with the Seahawks and Russell Wilson uh, and, and these receivers having to do it at eight targets per game. Uh, (laughs) Well, but I think having you on is great because you do the weekly waiver wire article at uh, NBC and we've got kind of this weird week where, uh, a lot of these guys are going to be relevant that, that were in the article this week. And, you know, we've got a lot of guys moving around. So I'm going to pick your brain and some of the players that, you know, pop this week and then also kind of give you a this or that with some of the guys that they, people might be leaning on. Do they start these guys over a player that they may have in the same kind of bucket, maybe even some rest of the season stuff. We'll see what we throw in. But the probably the biggest news of the week was Tuesday. And I was just starting to write up this game was basically every Browns running back, except for Dearness Johnson went on to COVID IR. Uh, you know, so Deion Johnson back into our hearts uh, in this week as a primary bell cow row. I saw they signed Brian Hill today. 
you know, to be to their practice squad. But, you know, Nick Chubb still can if he gets two, two negative tests within 24 hours apart. But that just – we haven't seen anybody really do that this year. I think only a couple guys have been able to clear that hurdle and get back on the field by Sunday. So the anticipation is that all these guys are going to miss this game. And that would then line up Dearness Johnson uh, to be the bell cow again. Uh, so kind of where, what are your expectations? I mean, what are, what are, where do you have Dearness Johnson kind of ranked? What do we think? Cause it's on the road at new England this time. So at home, it's Denver. Uh, are we, are we too high to have him as an RB one this week or are we expecting him just to smash again? I still like the game script environment, even being on the road for Dearness Johnson. Uh, it's easy to say just a touch based low end RB one. And that's where he is for me, honestly, like RB eight to 12 somewhere. I'm doing rankings right after the show actually. So I don't know exactly, but it comes in a week, oddly enough, after he was just put back on the bench, like Nick Chubb out touched him 16 to one until the Browns took a 34, 16 fourth quarter lead this past week against the Bengals. And then Darius Johnson came in for seven of his eight total touches, I believe. But now like you said, no John Kelly, no Demetrius Felton, no Nick Chubb, literally everyone gone except for Brian Hill. And so that tells us that he's going to get every single touch. We saw against Denver, not only did he perform well, but also to already handle 24 or 31 backfield touches. And that was with Felton and Kelly getting those leftover seven touches. We just know he's going to get every single touch. And honestly, like if Najee Harris can continue getting there as like a slog essentially this year, because he's getting 20 plus touches per game, like that's all it comes down to. So I'm still easily starting him basically in the same spot. I would consider Nick Chubb in this game. Yeah, I am just a little bit lower, but I'm in the same boat with you. Uh, right right there, locked in. I mean, this Browns, we saw the Browns today. They signed both guards, the monster extensions this mm-hmm. week, too, uh, on the heels of, of losing Odell Beckham. Uh, they're going to run the football, and they're going to run it on everybody. Uh, it is Wednesday, so this might not be official news by the time we get there, but let's just say some people are planning on it. Uh, you know, uh, kicking this around. The team that we just talked about, the Buffalo Bills, Zach Moss is in concussion protocol. We talked about them potentially saying now, like, hey, we're going to have to try to run the football a little bit, but potentially, you know, moving forward. What are we doing with Devin Singletary this week? Is he kind of back in as a a guy that could be like an RB2 plus? Uh, Because he was probably a lot of in like home leagues is probably out there and was cut in leagues over the course of the season. He was probably dropped significantly. Yeah. And we've already saw three games last year. Without Zach Moss, Singletary averaged 14 carries and four targets per game. Basically was the workhorse. Having said that, they didn't have Matt Breida. And again, I I don't think, I don't know, I don't know how to phrase it. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Matt Breida. But we also know that Singletary was not good. Like didn't really provide fantasy production in those three games last year. And genuinely, he's just not as explosive as Matt Breida. And it's funny to say that since Breida has just been healthy scratched all year long. But I do wonder, honestly, if they do go to more of this running attack to alleviate and and to help get the pressure off of Josh Allen, if Matt Breida is even sprinkled in for even four carries, because we've seen that matter. Like we've seen Marlon Mack playing five snaps and getting three touches matter for whether Naheem Hines gets 12 touches per game or just five. And so even that little bit in mixing with Singletary, I do actually wonder like an FFPC elite deeper leagues, if Matt Breida is going to matter in this game. So I still think Singletary is a fine RB2, but he will not reach like touch-based RB1 level for me. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Jets, they're they're allowing 33.4 touches per game to opposing backfields. Buffalo backs average just 22.6 touches per game. That's 29th in the NFL. 
Uh, if we can get kind of melding of those two worlds, uh, you know, maybe we can get combined, you know, 18 Singletary touches and six and, to eight. And that touches. was always the argument coming into the year, right? It's, uh, you know, some people wanted to argue Devin Singletary or Zach Moss when the argument really was, well, if either of those guys gets touches, they're a worse offense. And uh, now they're yes. like forced to get touches because they're a worst offense. So I wasn't really on either of them in redraft leagues, but now essentially like when it becomes one of them, sure, I can be talked into it. But again, I think the ceiling is a little bit out of perception by everyone looking into it. Uh, real quick, just the, not, no details. Assuming Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson don't play, any preference to the, the, the Patriots backfield? It would be Brandon Bolden. It would not be uh, J.J. Taylor. We also saw the last time J.J. Taylor got 10 touches. Eight of them came in the fourth quarter whenever the Brown or whenever the Patriots already had a significant lead. Mm -hmm. The issue for Brandon Bolden is that he will have to get there via points and PPR leagues, really, because, you know, the Browns Mm -hmm. front seven still sixth strongest run defense in terms of success rate allowed. Um, So it just basically be another touch-based running back and hoping you get their receptions. That's it. So – I don't know. I call everyone a low-end RB2, <laughs> but, you know, RB2, RB3 for PPR leagues, really, for Brandon Bolden. That's as far as I can go, though. Uh, one guy that's going to play by the time this comes out, though, is uh, is Rashad Bateman. He's still rostered in, in a pretty absurd low rate of leagues. Uh, you know, what kind of outlook now do you see for him the rest of the season? We start to see him really involved in the offense, especially with Sammy Watkins coming back, uh, because the Ravens are – they're throwing it around the yard uh, kind of by default because of their backfield situation. Um, yeah. So what do we think about Bateman like rest of the season wise? It's just tough. Even with Lamar Jackson averaging six more pass attempts per game than he did in his MVP year. It's just the fact that now recall Sammy Watkins recorded at least seven targets in every game he played prior to injury And Bateman hasn't exploded just yet. I would imagine that's why he's still available in so many leagues. Rostered, for example, in only 36% of Yahoo leagues. And he's earned a 19% target share, 20 targets in his three games. But just the fact that those have come without uh, Sammy Watkins, and now we have Watkins to muck this up. We we would want to roster Bateman long-term. And I still do, by the way. It's like a wide receiver 3-4 for the rest of the season. Um, it'd be easier, though, if we could guarantee he was the alpha if something ever happened to Marquise Brown. Because just, just the way the routes overlapped, the talent uh, discrepancy as well. Like, Marquise Brown is still an animal of his own that's not going away no matter what. And so it'd be easier to argue it if, if Marquise Brown got injured and we could guarantee Rashad Bateman would step into that role. But honestly, I can't make that argument with Sammy Watkins playing so well within this offense as a downfield threat alongside Marquise Brown prior to Bateman getting healthy. So again, I still like Bateman as a wide receiver, three, four possession receiver, but I can't sell you on the ceiling, unfortunately, unless you can like back to me. No, not really. And it's, just, I have the same problem with Elijah Moore too, and his breakout, you know, coming with, you know, Corey Davis, you know, being on the shelf the past couple of weeks and still kind of playing out of position a little bit. We'd love for him to be kind of more in the slot that moonlights outside. Uh, and he did it against the Colts. So like, it's hard to really, well, you know, stop. He did that. it also with Josh Johnson. He did it in a 32 point deficit. Uh, I do a Tuesday waivers chat. NBC Sports Edge, YouTube page, Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, another shameless plug. And I got asked that a lot. Like, why isn't Elijah Moore higher? And I just Mm -hmm. said, like, there are too many variables to believe that sticks. Like, too many odd things happen that will not happen in this next game to believe Elijah Moore's, like, two touchdowns, 80 yards just suddenly happen again. Like, there was nothing consistent, really. 
and they're going to play Zach Wilson again. Like Zach Wilson is going to play again when he is, you know, quote unquote, really healthy. We already saw he's not going to play this weekend or dress. He's going to run the scout team and Flacco is going to be the backup this week. Uh, <laughs> even though, even though like, you got to admit, like Mike White's pretty fun. Uh, it's only yeah, been of a course. Game, it's only been a game in two drives, but even against the Colts, uh, those two drives, they were in there, uh, uh, six and a half yard, no, six yards per play, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, to see him make his progressions and reads with pass rushers in his face, like, bad quarterbacks don't do that. You saw Jordan Love. They panic and throw it out of bounds, like, behind their guy. Mike White made all the correct reads. It was actually pretty incredible to watch him. So I'm excited to see him probably fail against the Bills, but nonetheless, still excited to see it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing is just staying, you know, keeping the offense on script and what it can do for you. And that's what Zach Wilson hadn't done really at all until, you know, he was injured at all. Uh, so, I mean, it's it just the difference it makes. Even you're starting to see it with the Bears a little bit with Justin Fields getting a little more acclimated and Max been there kind of all year. But just being able to, to, to play like con- under control and, you know, not just play the wild west. So, I mean, in the Bengals game, Mike, wait, did he do anything really necessarily special? He just took the plays that were there. Uh, you know, dumping it off to Michael Carter and making these throws. And we, we hadn't seen that from Zach Wilson at all, you know, the entire season. And, you know, that's a that makes just a big, gigantic shift in the trickle down because now you can actually have a game where the Jets can somehow even score 30 points chasing points. That didn't exist. With Zach that's Wilson. what was crazy is that we <laughs> knew that, right? His 47% target rate to running backs against the Bengals. And uh, I had the Bengals plus 10 and a half, like, uh, or I'm sorry, I had the Jets plus 10 and a half. That was too big of a number for the Bengals to ever lay, knowing they're a farce like division leader team. But they just but, come off of that Ravens game too. Uh, yeah. Uh, which, which the Bengals versus the Ravens also was a hot line because it was such a good matchup for the Bengals. Oh, yeah. um, you even, you even mentioned on shows we overlapped on, I'm sure on this network as well, uh, Burrow stats against the blitz and we know the Ravens blitz, but nonetheless, the fact that Mike White then altered that against the Colts and had that one big downfield bomb for a touchdown, a very like pinpoint throw in the back of the end zone as well. That's what actually got me first excited about him. So, okay, now we're talking like we're seeing something spicy here and I'm actually looking forward to seeing it again. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fine. I mean, the Bills have been really awesome this year defensively, and that's been awesome. part of – that's played in part of the reason, too, why their offense had was kind of regressing a little bit, too, is because the defense had regressed and been you know, positive regression, or however you want to frame that you know phrase that everyone hates. But the Bills' defense has been excellent basically the entire year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it almost kept them in that – it almost kept them in winning that game. They had no business to win last week, and they just couldn't do it. But, uh, but yeah, uh, so – we also have another player that's been good. Russell Wilson's come back, we talked about, but we also have Michael Gallup coming back, finally. Uh, you know, he was designated return a couple weeks ago. They, they slow played it uh, from his calf injury. I feel like this is the year of, like, calf injuries. Uh, like, like, I don't remember this many calf injuries. It feels like that's the injury of choice. Although, I did see the – there's a Twitter account that's, like, ACL tracker, and we're already one ACL injury short through nine weeks of all of last season. There were 42 and ACL tears. Been unfortunately, like, don't want it to happen, but you know we're going to get it this week. Somewhere along the way. Which is wild, happened. which is crazy. I haven't seen anything, you know, uh, off that, you know, dig in and see what, what some of the opinions are of why that is happening. Uh, because last year, uh, you know, everyone I talked to you thought it would be a high injury, you know, season because of – Which it was. Know, reduced off season, you know, condensed workouts. Players weren't working in the facilities. Uh, now this year they've had all, the, all those things, and we're just still seeing these players – uh, you know, multiple injuries. And for fantasy, it's been in big, uh, you know, impact. But Michael Gallup is back. And we've already kind of gone through this stretch of season with the Cowboys where we 
like, what do we do with these receivers? We're not always getting there with Michael Gallup and or Amari uh, Cooper and CD Lamb. Is there, is there enough targets to go around? And now we're adding another, you know, high-profile talent player uh, to the mix. So, what do we think about Gallup's, you know, return to the lineup for the Cowboys, and you know what what that means, short term and long term? It's it's a double-edged sword when trying to pinpoint it because. Yes, Dak Prescott's season high in pass attempts with 58 occurred in the only game Gallup was available for this year, but also it came against the Bucks, who, as we know, every team has thrown against since heavily. Uh, third most pass attempts per game, I believe, the Bucks are facing now. And so I do wonder what's going to happen, but also with Blake Jarwin going to IR, we should now expect more 11 personnel. Uh, having said that, what happens when Blake Jarwin comes back too? So mm-hmm. like the long-term picture is a very muddled one just because – when he comes back, then it'll give them more options. And we've seen, at least earlier in the year, it was hard enough as a uber-efficient offense to get C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper there weekly. Like, C.D. Lamb, the targets will be there weekly, but getting there as, like, a wide receiver, too, still pretty tough. You still need some explosive game scripts here, and that's just something they haven't been guaranteed every week. And so Gallup, I think, is a good stash for 12-team leagues, 14-team leagues, but someone I'm starting immediately? No. Uh for all the reasons we talked about at the beginning of the show about how the Broncos played more man coverage cover one against them, like Gallup does help that and answering against man coverage gives you another guy who can beat you deep if that's what you want to do. And so he does actually make the Cowboys offense better for sure. But overall, like you can't obviously start him in his first game back. And it's more of a wait and see approach now with Dalton Schultz, who I still believe is a low end tight end one, especially off a game without Jarwin, his first one, he played a season high 95% of snaps this past week. And with the other receivers, we're going to see what shakes out in the game script here. Yeah, we saw the kind of Jarwin's in injury last week. I know the game script got away from them, but they used 11 personnel 82% of the time, the highest rate uh, of the season. You know, previously they had used 12 personnel at 32% of snaps as the fifth highest rate in the NFL. So this, it does kind of line up right for the timing of Gallup's return to where they're going to be. But yeah, you said when Jarwin comes back is when things get really muddled. If Lee, I st- I'm still on the train. If, if, if you have like trade deadlines in your home leagues, I still think that you can still – float these Cowboys guys out there, the upside that they offer, uh, not the running backs, but, uh, you know, more, more CD lamb and Amari Cooper, you still see it on a weekly basis. I do, you know, my weekly rankings and you know, CD lamb is still a guy that is basically hanging around fringe wide receiver one status, you know, not just by myself, but like by, you know, fellow industry rankers. So I have to assume that like more people in your home leagues are also operating under that premise as well too. So uh, he could be a guy that can still net you a, a solid return if this thing does get kind of the you know some gum in the works here uh, as the season you know hits that quarter, uh, the final quarter. Because the schedule is good in terms of teams we expect them to, to have efficiency against. You know, they play the football team twice, weeks fourteen through sixteen, but like they're going to smoke the football team as well. And we've seen when the Cowboys get ahead, they don't and the, the teams don't counterpunch against them. That's when you get the twenty-four to twenty-seven pass attempts, and those guys have to get there on hyper efficiency. And it's um, like you said, uh, Prescott completed 49% of his past attempts. It was a QB one. So that's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One other guy I want to just kind of ask about, you know, so we've had these kind of emergence of Pat Fryer move the past two weeks and uh, it's been great. The overall, you know, kind of routes run, like really weren't there while people are, you know, anticipating the breakout. And even last week against the Browns, they weren't there. Uh, and then this, this week they kind of bounced back up, um, but still they're not elite. They're not elite. So, like, is he still a guy that, like, are we elevating him too quickly to be a rest of the season tight end one? Or does was this injury to Trace Claypool just, like, kind of make it 
doesn't matter. Uh, and he's a guy that we're just going to ride this wave with. I think the injury to Chase Claypool really opened the door for everyone. Um, you know, every rookie may get an opportunity, but they may not answer then. But just the fact that now Fryermuth has earned, because that's what you have to do when you get the opportunity, you have to earn it. Yep. He's earned a 20% target share in his last two games without Eric Ebron. Uh, team high, four targets inside the 20-yard line. And then his match, Clay, Chase Claypool, and end zone targets with three each in their last two games. Um, has also run a route on 71%. And Dwayne McFarlane of PFF show likes to always mention a 80% of tight end routes run route rate as the elite threshold. So 71%, not exactly what we're looking for, but the fact we're taking those three end zone targets as a red zone threat away from Claypool. Now that he's expected to miss three, four games and putting them at least sprinkling them in a little bit to Fryermuth. Um, he's just going to be on the field now, no Claypool, no Juju. So I still have him ranked for the rest of the season, and tell me if you disagree. I'm just going to list them off. Uh, I have Fryermuth ranked over Tyler Higby, Hunter Henry, Jared Cook, and Zach Ertz. Yeah, no problem with any having him over any of those guys. Absolutely. I mean, he he gets interesting where you start to think like, what do you do now with like him versus Dawson Knox? Uh, you know, who was running hot on touchdowns, or maybe Logan Thomas returning. And um, and we're just going to have to wait and see when Ebron comes back, because now we know if Ebron's out, you lock in Fryermuth. But when Ebron comes back, then we'll see whether usage changes or not. Um, and then we also, like, I would start him this week, for instance, over Knox, because mm-hmm. I can't guarantee that Knox is going to be out there for his full allotment of slaps or snaps. But the moment he gets back out there and slaps opposing defenses, because <laughs> he is that good, then uh, I would definitely go back to Knox as like a top five tight end, honestly, because Knox's usage across the board, target share, routes run was elite prior to injury. But yeah, I agree. He's probably up in that range. Yeah, that's kind of where I've got him to, you know, rest of the way. Um, yeah, so listen, uh, what do we got here on the way out, out the door here? Did, what kind of general just thoughts you have on the DFS slate this week? Uh, you can take it no anywhere Mah- you want. No Mahomes. Um, a Thank struggling goodness. Josh Allen, who no one's going to play, which is interesting, but also no Stafford, no Lamar Jackson. So I think it is a week you might be able to get cute. Or if you roster Brady double stacks, which I imagine a lot of people want to do, whether Chris Godwin plays or not, because Tyler Johnson is the cheapie, the question will then be what you do about running back, because the chalk is there. There are like six or seven guys, and they're all chalk, because unlike other weeks, the running backs injuries that happened freed running other running backs, the guys behind them to become bell cows. And so now we're dealing with seven bell cows. We're not trying to decipher roles between these guys. James Conner is going to get every touch. Darren Johnson is going to get every touch. Devin Singletary is going to get every touch. And so what do you do? Because then you also have like the RB one on the year, Jonathan Taylor, you have Dalvin cook in a sweet spot against the league's worst rush defense in the chargers. Mm-hmm. You have Christian McCaffrey, who it seems like no one's going to play, even though we fully expect his work to increase after he was basically an RB, one had at least had RB1 usage last week and should have gotten there had he not been benched because they were so far behind the Patriots. So it's just a really interesting week to think long and hard about where everyone, where the field and your opponents are going to flock to at running back and then try to counter from there. But I could, I could actually see myself getting on Kirk Cousins double stacks. Um, I, you should, you should use this pod by the way, to plant your for Mike Williams. Cause I know you love Mike <laughs> Williams. Uh, Cause I'm interested in running him back. 
And then from there, that is a unique contrarian stack. I think it's an intelligent contrarian, which is always what we try to do, right? We want the high upside contrarianism. And so I think that's contrarian enough and Cousins with Mike Williams runbacks that you can then play the chalk running backs. But that's where I'm at on Wednesday. Yeah, I, I even wrote in the worksheet that like, you know, I'm willing to be wrong about this. So you see how good I, I am at the. Well, I'm sorry at, for calling you out, but the people need to hear your take. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, I've, I've felt so far throughout the course of the season that Mike Williams' spots have been a little more predictable for better or worse outside of the Ravens game where everyone kind of flatlined. But his best weeks have come in spots where you, you know, perimeter boundary receivers have smashed everybody. Uh, and his worst spots have been come against teams that are really good against defending perimeter wide receivers and don't give up a lot of splash plays and give up more targets underneath. And those have been Keenan Allen games and he's gotten there. I mean, Keenan Allen hitting uh, against the Patriots and hitting mm-hmm. against the Eagles is not surprising to me. And you saw him get over 30% of the team targets, but when they face teams like, you know, the Browns and Washington, you see the, the targets are going more to Mike Williams um, and, and those in the matchup kind of aligns itself this week to where boundary receivers are where the Vikings, you know, have really struggled and they've had a, a number of injuries. Now they lose also one of the best ball hawking, you know, safeties and Harrison Smith still going to be out. Uh, Patrick Peterson still not back. And you just look at the guys that have beaten them on the perimeter, Amari Cooper, Marquise Brown, DK Metcalf, Mark Chase, all of those guys had over hundred yards against them. I think it's a good flop lag spot for Mike Williams. So I don't think there's anything really wrong with Mike Williams. He saw here running around a 90% of the dropbacks, just the teams that they've played in recent weeks have been more Keenan Allen games and, and set up for that way. And I think that's credit for the Chargers coaching staff, realizing that they have, you know, a variance at wide receiver that they can do these things with and attack defenses in different, different ways. So I do think that this is a bounce back spot for Mike Williams. Um, I know a lot of people are like running for the Hills and just saying, well, he's back to being a high eight out player. Uh, and that's why he's kind of fallen off and being high variance. But uh, I do think this is a spot for him. So I do like him as the, the run back. I mean, obviously him and Dalvin cook are like the natural of skinny, right? Like you do, Mike Williams and Dalvin Skinnies, and you're and that you got yourself covered. I think Justin Herbert in this game is interesting because Herbert is like the he's becoming like the the best uh, tournament quarterback because he's been the QB one or the QB two overall in uh, you know three games so far, and then he's been like the QB eighteen or lower in like every game at once. Like he's either he's either destroying or just like meandering and. And only one of those, the Chiefs game, was predictable. Uh, yeah. the, the Browns and this past game because the Eagles yeah. were the ones where I even looked to the top. Like I play like mid-stakes, high-stakes, single entries, and uh, I scrolled to the top. And in the mid-stakes, at least, the high-stakes, we saw our friend Mike Leone get there. Congratulations to him with um unique Lamar stacks with one contrarian option and Brandon Ayuk, who was an awesome play knowing his usage from two weeks ago. But in mid-stakes, you scroll to the top, like 500, 750 entries, and it was actually Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen with uh, with Devonta Smith runbacks. And that makes total sense because it was rostered, like combined 15 to 18%. No one played any of them. And like, of course, it was the one time he went off. So yeah, like that kind of stack, knowing the upside they, those players have, like Mike Williams, for example, when no one is on them in matchups, we can actually even talk ourselves into being explosive fireworks shootouts, that's when you jump on them. Yeah, and everyone was on Eckler too, so you had natural leverage. Eckler's yep. ownership was super high, him and Miles Gaskin. Uh, that's, and why, that's, that's why Cousins as well, uh, you've been on top of all over Adam Thielen man versus zone splits. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to get on Thielen, Cousins stacks, even Conklin if you want to double it up in this game, since we know like 
Thielen and Conklin are the ones that can expose the Chargers defense for sure, especially how heavily they play zone and two high safety. Um, and, uh, go ahead. Was on Zeke, you were about to talk about. Well, I say he, he ended up, he's going to be the same way because he was one of the, the higher owned guys last week. And because of, like you said, this vortex of injuries we had in top plays, he's probably going to come in light this week. Yes. And I'm fine with that as well, especially because we know it's a game we're going to have to get exposure to because it's at least a cash game. Uh, and we've seen that like cash game planes aren't really popular. Now the field is like so advanced, they're inception. They're thinking four dreams deep. Uh, like even, <laughs> yeah. even what I think like last week for, for better or worse, I had Burrow double stacked in all my single entries. And then I looked up and jo- and Jamar Chase was like 10% rostered. T Higgins was 26%. I believe it was. I just thought I was getting unique in having Burrow Chase and Higgins. And it turns out that was already like 40, 45% like being rostered. And we're trying to get to one fifteen percent usually combined in our lineups, like or 90 to one fifteen, somewhere around there, not over. And so I already knew like I was behind and it was just, it's just wild how advanced the field is this year. It is. Everyone's on it this year and we're starting to see, I mean, there was a couple of weeks ago where like, you know, I was with Leone and, you know, Robbie Anderson that week, everyone is, you know, he would have been like a, a like a sub 5% play and he never got there and he ended up being a donkey play, but he was like 10 to 10, 12%. He was a 13. <laughs> I played him. He was because, because that's when the healthy scratches uh, with Calvin Ridley first game, he was ruled out. And I knew everyone was going to Kyle Pitts. And so I naturally went to Cordero Patterson. And then that pivot left me enough money to go to Robbie Anderson. I thought 6% Robbie Anderson, let's go. Like skinny stack, we could could do this. And I look up at kickoff, he's 13% and he laid an egg. Like, what are we doing? You never want to run into that when your guy is, uh, yeah, the field, the field has definitely been sharper. We've been definitely galaxy braining, uh, you know, things here. I'm really curious to see how people handle the running back field this, this, this week. I don't even know it's Wednesday and I don't even know how I'm going to really approach it because I've messed around with some lineups and I'm not quite there yet. So we'll see what we get to you by Sunday. And we say more advanced, but that's not a complaint. Honestly, I've had a lot of fun and I'm, I'm not even, I'm admittedly not having a winning year. Um, but I've still had a lot of fun so far because it's been like the most challenging puzzle I've done since trying to put together like a little mermaid puzzle when I was five years old. <laughs> the little mermaid puzzle the, out there. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, listen, it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's been a fun year. I think this has been a unique mini season for the reason we talked about. We've only had really Cooper cup and team jam and we had that spurt with Derrick Henry too. And that's made DFS more fun because as you see here, a lot more variance and you flatter ownership and you can do more things and it, and it opens up people to win more money uh, different ways. And that's what we love. So listen, that was great. Put a bow on it. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, you know, you've been living with Silva. Eventually one day you'll make it back to Cleveland on your way out though. Give me one real quick pitch. Why is Cleveland underrated? The most underrated city in America, not just simply underrated because the gentrification and food, uh, the lake, I call it an ocean, but the lake is right there for you as well. You even have cocktail bars. You have rooftop bars. It is like any other winter city someone lives in, beautiful in the spring and summer with hiking and all water sports right around you. I, I absolutely love Cleveland. Do not be shocked in March or April, because I know the dates because I've already looked there, that uh, I end up buying a place there. Hey, man, I look forward to you coming here. The cost of living here is an extra bonus. That also is really that. helpful. That helps. <laughs> That's helpful. I'm not, I don't even have kids, and I can tell you. It's pretty good to know the cost of living there. You hear it there. On your way out, let everyone know 
where they can find you, find your work, uh, and you know, everything you're doing. Uh, also like in the little run sheet you sent me, there was a question about who are you stashing for the fantasy playoffs? So I'll knock that out really quickly for everyone and say oh, yeah, Sonny Michelle. Sonny Michelle, pretty simple. Uh, running backs and fantasy should be treated like currency. Like how NFL organizations should treat quarterbacks like currency and draft two in the first round. We'll never reach that point. They're never going to be that advanced, but they should because you can just swap them for three more picks and it'd be just fine. Nonetheless, you can get more takes like that at not Jay Daigle on Twitter and NBCSportsEdge.com. And more importantly, a good football show on iTunes, Spotify, and the NBC Sports Edge YouTube page. There you have it, John Daniel. Put a bow on week 10. We'll be back in week 11.